Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, guess what book of the Bible we're still in? Mark, right? It's week 10 of a two-year sermon study where we're walking verse by verse, line by line through the gospel of Mark. And we're calling it the simple gospel because at Redemption, we truly believe that the gospel is simple. And so we're taking this time and we're taking a look at, we're listening, we're learning from the life of Jesus so that way we can begin to live our lives for Jesus. And today is one of my favorite sections of the scripture. And the sermon is titled, Jesus friend of sinners. And I love that because if Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners, then he couldn't be friends with you. Amen. Um, But no, really, this is one of my favorite sections, um, not just for what it means for me personally, but um, what it means for us as a church. So when Ashley and I moved to Beaumont and we started to, to, to plan on planting Redemption Church, we didn't have anything. Okay, we didn't have any money, we didn't have a building, we didn't have a team, and we didn't even have a clue. Some of you, you're like, yeah, that's very true. But all that we had was a dream, we had um, a vision, we had a mission, and we had a passion to be able to reach as many people as possible for the sake of the gospel. And so when we moved to the city, I just did the only thing that I knew how to do. I just got a job waiting tables because that's really kind of, that's been my whole life up until I entered into ministry was just waiting tables. And so I got a job working at a restaurant. And how many of you ever worked at a restaurant? Okay, then you know that you meet some pretty interesting people. And so I started working at this restaurant and getting to know people and hearing their stories and asking them where did they come from, what did they believe, what did they think about Jesus, and where did they grow up and where did they go to church. And what I discovered is that nine out of ten people that I worked with, they were raised in the church because this is Southeast Texas. Right, You're going to go to church. Someone's going to drag you to church. Maybe it's your parents or grandparents. Maybe it's someone you know you went to high school with. But someone, somewhere, somehow, you're going to go to church. But what I also discovered is that 9 out of the 10 people that I worked with, they didn't go to church. Okay, now that doesn't mean that they stopped believing, because they would still say, oh yes, I believe in God. But whenever I pushed just a little bit further, they would say, okay, well, I, you know, I, I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, I don't give, I don't serve, I'm not involved in community, and I don't really go to church, but I still believe in God, which is a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day, but that just goes to show me is that people have a burden when it comes to belonging in a church. And so I would just kind of ask them, well, why don't you go to church? And a lot of the answers were, were, were very similar. And maybe you've heard these and maybe you've said these before. Oh, the church is filled with hypocrites. Oh, the church is too judgmental. Or, you know, I went and someone said something. I got hurt. I got offended and I never went back. Or I learned all the lessons when I was in Sunday school. And, you know, then I graduated from church and I don't really need that in my life anymore. Or I don't fit in. I don't feel accepted. Or I don't think that I would be welcomed. You ever heard that? Okay. Have you ever said that? And after getting to know these people over a period of time, 
hearing their stories over and over again, my heart, it just, it just began to break because I love Jesus, I love the church, and I believe that Jesus loves the church and he wants people to be involved in the church. And so as I'm, as I'm hearing these stories over and over again, I go home to my wife and I say, babe, you have to listen to these stories. You have to hear where people are at. You have to hear the things that they've walked through, things that they are going through. You have to hear exactly where people are. And as I began to listen and share these stories, my heart, it just began to break. And I thought, if nobody does anything, then these people, they're not going to have anyone to love them. If nobody does anything, they're not going to hear the good news. If nobody does anything these people they will not be saved and so i just started to dream and to pray and to plan to plant a brand new life-giving church christ-centered in the center of the city in the heart of downtown and we began to pray about planting redemption church but the last thing that we knew that beaumont needed was just another church because there are plenty of great churches in this city, but the last thing that Beaumont needs is just another church. And so we began to dream and to pray about planting a church, not for Christians, but for non-Christians. Not a church for people who go to church, but for a people who don't want to go to church. We began to pray about planting a church for these people, the, the saints, the sinners, the skeptics, the rejects, the rebels, the outcasts, because I truly believe that if Jesus was here today, that these are the people that Jesus would be spending his time with because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And so we began to work on planting the church. And it was verses like these in Mark that really solidified the mission and the vision and the goal of what we want to accomplish at redemption. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13, and you're going to meet a man named Levi. And Levi, he grew up probably a lot like many of you. That Levi is Jewish, and so Levi, he would have went to synagogue Sunday school. He would have grown up knowing about the Lord and probably going to temple and to synagogue and practicing the Sabbath. But somewhere, somewhere along the line, Levi, he just turned his back on it all. That he gave up on church, he gave up on religion, he walked away from his faith, and he continued to live his own life. And then Levi meets Jesus, and in just a single moment, everything in his life, it all changes. And so what I want to do is I want to show you the life of Levi and how Jesus can also change your life. So we're going to see three things. We're going to see three ways, three steps that you can follow, so that way you'll see life change in your life. And I want you to know this. That following Jesus is very easy. It's very simple. Okay, some people like to make it complicated. They'll say, oh, you want to you wanna be one of us? You want to follow Jesus? Well, then you have to act like us, dress like us, think like us. You need to behave and to believe like us. And they like to make it very complicated. But here at Redemption, we believe that the gospel is simple. So I'm going to make this super simple for you. We've got three steps to change your life from a man named Levi. So the first step is this follow Jesus, okay? That is the big idea, right? That is the big E on the I chart. You need to be following Jesus. That's the first step. That's the most important step to follow him. Here's what Mark says about following Jesus. Starting in verse 13, he, being Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all of the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them, and he passed by, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. So at this point, Jesus, he's going for a walk by the sea. And I think the reason that Jesus goes and walks by the sea is because Jesus, he needs some alone time. 
that he's trying to get away from the crowd and from the pressure and from all the busy of life. Because this is a pattern that we see in the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. That Jesus preaches, he performs a miracle, he gets alone to pray. We've already seen it several weeks that Jesus preaches, that he performs a miracle, and he gets alone to pray. Last week, Jesus preached, Jesus healed a person, and now he's getting by the sea so he can have some time to pray. But does he get to pray for very long? No. Right? Because the whole crowd, they follow him. They say, Jesus, where are you at? Jesus, where are you going? Jesus, what do you think you're doing trying to get alone by yourself? Where are you at? I got this nice little Jesus GPS tracking chart, and I'm going to follow you with my iPhone because you're not going to get away from me for very long. So the crowd, they're pushing and they're pulling and they're chasing after Jesus because Jesus, he is very popular. And so everybody's like, okay, Jesus, perform a miracle. Jesus, Heal somebody. Jesus, do something amazing. Jesus, do a trick for us. And what does Jesus do instead? Well, it says that he began to teach. Because that's what Jesus is. He is a teacher. And Jesus comes and he preaches. The first words out of Jesus' mouth were actually a sermon. Repent and believe. He comes to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that the kingdom is at hand. And Jesus, he comes as a preacher. So he is teaching, preaching, and he's also traveling. And it says here that he meets a man named Levi. Okay, It differentiates Levi from the rest of the crowd. Did you notice that? So there's a big crowd. Oh, and then there's Levi. Levi, he's not a part of the crowd. He's not a part of the core. He's not the people who are chasing and looking after and trying to find Jesus. Levi, he's somewhere else because Levi, he's a tax collector. Now, how many of you like paying your taxes? Yeah, that's what I thought. Nobody likes paying your taxes. Nobody's like, yay, I owe the IRS $5,000. Hallelujah. What I always wanted. No, all of our libertarian friends, you're mumbling under your breath. Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. Okay, before you freak out, okay, we actually have it pretty good. I mean, at least comparatively, okay, we have it pretty good. What you have to understand when it comes to reading the Bible is that the nation of Israel at this point is not actually a nation. That Israel, they're a part of the Roman Empire. So under Roman rule, Caesar would be their king. And Rome was um, very rich, very wealthy, very successful. It was very powerful, prominent. And the way that it maintained its status was by enforcing heavy taxation upon its people, especially the Jewish people. So this is the way that they would build their Rome, uh, build their build their roads, build their armies, and all the technology that they did, the beauty, the arts, the building. It came from heavy taxations upon its people, especially on the Jews. Okay, and so the Jewish people, they're not actually slaves, but they're not totally free. That they are living in exile. They do live under poverty due to Roman taxation. And that day, everything was taxed. And so, you know, your home was taxed, your income was taxed, your property was taxed, the buying and selling of goods was taxed, you know, your work, your job, all those things were taxed, especially things like fishing. And this is Galilee, Capernaum, and Jesus' first followers are fishermen, and so they're under heavy taxation. And if you wanted to travel, well, you're also going to have to pay a toll because they would set up little toll booths. So if you traveled, you had to pay a tax, and that's where they meet Levi because Levi, he is a, he, he's a tax collector. And so as they kind of run into Levi, here's the way that it works. Rome wouldn't actually levy the taxes themselves. 
what they would do is they would set quotas in the different regions and cities, and they would say, okay, all of the people who live in this city, you have to pay this much in taxes. So if you live in Orange, you got to pay $500,000 in taxes, right? If you live in Lumberton, you got to pay a million dollars in taxes. And if you live in Beaumont, that's going to be $10 million in taxes. And the way that Rome would levy the taxes is they would set up tax booths in each of the regions, and then they would franchise them out. And so a person who lived there, they could become a tax collector by placing the highest bid. And whoever won that bid became the tax collector for that region. And they would work day and night to extort as much money from as many people as possible because whatever the tax collector got over what Rome required, they got to keep for themselves. Some of you are thinking, this is a very lucrative business deal, right? I can just take as much money from people as possible and I can pocket the rest. That sounds amazing. And what you can tell is that this didn't go very well. This went very crooked, very corrupt, and it goes that way very fast. And that's who Levi is. And so as you're traveling, you come across one of these little tax collectors and they they would come up to you and they would say, okay, you need to pay the tax. All right, so you're traveling. There's going to be a travel tax. Oh, you're walking. Well, that's going to be a walking tax. You have sandals on. Well, you got to pay the sandal tax. Oh, you got a backpack? Okay, you have to pay the backpack tax. What's in your backpack? Food? Well, that's going to be another tax. That's a nice donkey you have there. That's going to be a donkey tax. And your donkey has four legs. So they taxed all four legs. Seriously. If you had a cart, they wouldn't only tax the cart. They were so crooked, they would tax every single wheel on that cart and you would have to pay that. And so as you're traveling and you come across and you have to pay these taxes, if you don't pay the taxes, they would just throw you in prison. But they were nice guys and more like mafia mobsters, and so they would offer you a loan. They say, you can't pay it? Well, we're going to help you out. We're going to offer you a loan at 50% in interest rate. 50%. And if you don't pay it back, well, then we're going to break your kneecaps and throw you in prison anyway. You can see who Levi is. This is the type of man that Levi is. And Levi is hated. To think that just being a tax collector itself was bad enough, Levi was a Jewish tax collector. Okay, this means that in order for him to win this bid, he would have to turn his back on his family, his friends, his nation, and his own people. This would be akin to an IRS agent working for ISIS. Yeah, not a good guy. He's a bad guy. And this is who Levi is. One commentator named Josephus, an early church historian, said that to be a tax collector was to be on par with a leper. We met a leper a couple weeks ago, and we know that they are the lowest of the low. They are the worst of the worst, that nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, nobody wants to associate or to be around you. For a Jewish person to become a tax collector, they would actually be excommunicated from society, that they weren't allowed to go to temple or to synagogue, they weren't allowed to worship or to pray or to read their Bibles or to be around any other believers. They were outcasts, they were pariahs, they were the lowest of the low. This is who Levi is. That Levi, he is disowned, he is disavowed, he is despised. This is the life of Levi. And then Jesus, he does something amazing. Jesus, he walks right up to Levi. And he says to follow me. Like nobody chooses Levi. He walks right up to the biggest sinner in the city. And he says to follow me. You follow me. I choose you. I pick you. I want you. You're going to be one of my disciples. Levi, follow me. This is scandalous. 
Like nobody picks Levi. Nobody wanted to be around him. Nobody cared about him. Nobody associated or wanted to be seen with him. Nobody but Jesus. And Jesus walks right up to him in public. Like there's a whole big crowd around. And everybody's watching him. And he goes up to him in the middle of the city, in the very busy street, in the heart of downtown, while people are watching him. And he says, Levi, follow me. This is amazing. Nobody picks him. Jesus, he could have picked anyone. Jesus is very popular at this time. He's got crowds following him. He could have chose from the best seminaries, he could have chose from the best Bible colleges, the top honor graduates. He could have picked absolutely anyone, but that's not what Jesus does. Jesus, he doesn't go to the best dressed. He doesn't go to the elite or to those who are voted most likely to succeed. Instead, Jesus walks right up to four filthy fishermen, one crooked tax collector, and he says, you and me, let's go change the world. You and me, follow me. And this is the same thing that Jesus does in our life. And if you notice, there's nothing that Levi did, right? Apparently, Levi never even got up out of the tax booth, right? He wasn't a part of the crowd. He wasn't chasing Jesus. He wasn't following Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus or searching for Jesus. Jesus found him. Jesus interrupted him. Jesus walked right up to him in the middle of his life. And he says, Levi, follow me. And this is the same thing that Jesus does when He chooses us. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. All you have to do is to receive it. And it's not because you're special. Some people think, oh, I've been chosen by God. I must be special. Right? I'm one of the elect. I must be special. You're not special. Right? I know your mama told you were, but your mama lied. You're not special. You're special in a totally different way. Right? Jesus doesn't pick you because you're special, but because He's special. Jesus doesn't pick you because you're the best, because you're not, you're average at best. But Jesus, Jesus, he's the best. And that's why Jesus chooses us. That Jesus, he chooses filthy fishermen and crooked tax collectors and people just like you and me because Jesus, he calls sinners to himself and he says to follow me. And in this moment, Levi, he has to make a decision. He has to make a choice that Jesus is calling. So what is Levi going to do? Here's what it says. He rose and he followed him. That's it. It's very simple. It's not complicated. right? Jesus calls, you follow. That's the way that this works. Okay, Levi, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have any hesitations or reservations or any really big questions. Levi's not like, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus. But first, you have to tell me where we're going. You have to tell me what it's going to look like and you know how it's going to be whenever everything's said and done. I, I need to know the blueprints. right? Give me a map. Give me a schematic. Is there an Excel spreadsheet? I have to figure this out before I follow you. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't say, okay, Jesus, I have some questions. I will follow you, but first, you have to explain to me the six days of creation because, well, let's just be honest, I don't know if people really believe that. Right? Oh, but you need to explain to me Noah's ark, right? The flood. Was it a local flood, a global flood? Right? I've heard different interpretations on the book of Job. Explain to me the purgatory Psalms because I don't know if I can believe in a God who does those things. He doesn't do that. Jesus calls, you follow, and then you figure the rest out along the way. This is a very simple process that you just follow Jesus. And in a single moment, Levi's life was changed forever. That Levi, this is an example of radical obedience. 
that he just walks away from everything, that he quits his job, right? He turns his back on his livelihood, that he quits ripping people off and he starts repenting of his sins. In a single moment, his life was changed forever. And this is what Jesus does for us, that Jesus doesn't leave you as a tax collector, that when you get up and you follow him, your life is going to be changed. Some people are like, oh, well, you know, it's very nice. Jesus saved a tax collector. Well, he didn't leave him a tax collector. His life changed. He didn't leave you in your sin because when you follow Jesus, your life, it begins to change. Here's what we know about Levi. The first time we meet him, he's a thief. I mean, that's exactly what a tax collector is. You're a thief. Well, the next time we meet Levi, his name has been changed because that's what happens. When you meet Jesus, things, it begins to change. Sometimes what God does in a person's life is so radically altering that they even get a new name. And Levi, he gets a new name because his life had been changed so much. So the first time we meet him, his name is Levi. He's a thief. The next time we meet him, his name is actually Matthew, which means the gift of God. That's what Jesus does. You go from a thief to a gift. And his life was changed. That not only when you begin to follow him, do you get a new nature, a new identity. Sometimes, whenever it's so great, people even look at you totally different because something amazing has happened to you. And you get a new name. And that's what we see with Levi, who is now Matthew. And just to make things a little bit more funny, right? Matthew, he becomes a disciple. He becomes an apostle. He goes on and he helps plant the first church. And he writes a book of the Bible. Could anyone guess what book of the Bible a guy named Matthew might have wrote? Matthew. You guys are sharp, right? And so here's, here's what's so amazing, okay? Levi, hated, kicked out of church, goes and plants a church. Right, Levi, excommunicated from society, not welcomed, not wanted, not even allowed to read the Bible. He writes a book of the Bible. Right, that's amazing. And the book of Matthew is written to who? Anybody know? It's to Jewish people. Right, this guy who's hated by the Jews writes a book of the Bible, planting churches, talking about how Jesus is the Messiah and hated by the Jews. And now the Jews love Jesus because of Matthew. That just goes to show you never know what's going to happen in a person's life when they decide to follow Jesus. That you don't judge a person by where they started. You look at their life by where they finished. That if you follow Jesus, there's always going to be something else. There's always going to be a next step. You just keep following Jesus. And then you figure the rest out along the way. And this is exactly where some of you find yourselves at today. That Jesus is standing right in front of you. And that he is calling you and he says, today is your day. Follow after me. He's been calling you for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year, for 10 years, for all of your life. And you have questions and you have reservations and you have hesitations. And you say, God, I don't know if I can follow you. I don't know what it's going to look like. And friend, I don't know you and I don't know your story. But I can tell you this. After 12 years of following Jesus, it's better than I could ever imagine. Your first step is just to get up and to follow him. And so you follow him. And that's what Levi does, that his first step is to follow Jesus. That's the most important thing. Friend, if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, don't even wait till the end of my sermon. You just go ahead and give your life to him right now. I'll wait. Okay, good. Now, second step is this, right? You follow Jesus. Number two, you get in a group. 
Okay, this is what Levi does. He meets Jesus. He gets very excited and he runs home and he wants to tell all of his friends about Jesus. And so he invites him back to his house. He throws a big party, a big celebration. There's lots of food. There's lots of fun. There's lots of laughter. And the first thing that Levi does, step number two, is he, he gets in a community group. Here's what it says, starting in verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, so he's back home. Right, and he's throwing this big party, and I think that's something the church should get better at doing. Amen. Right, the church should throw more parties. Just my take. Um, so he throws this big party, and let's see who's at the guest list for Levi, the tax collector's party. So he's at the house, reclining at the table. Many tax collectors and sinners were there, reclining with Jesus, kicking back in the lazy boy, along with his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Okay. So here we have the guest list for Levi's party. First is Levi, the tax collector. Okay, now who do you think tax collectors would hang out with? Remember, they're the lowest of the low. Well, they hang out with other tax collectors. So he invites all of his tax collector buddies. It's like a big tax collector convention. And well, who would hang out with those people? Oh, you know, those people, right? The sinners. So we have tax collectors and sinners and then we have Jesus and the disciples. Okay, this is a this is a motley crew. This is this is a probably a very funny sight to see. You have tax collectors, sinners, Jesus, and the disciples. And the first thing that Levi does is he goes out and he gets in a community group. He actually starts a community group. Levi says, "I met Jesus. My life has changed. I want people to meet Jesus because he can change their life too." But here's what I know: that my friends won't go to church, so I'm going to bring the church to them. That my friends won't chase after Jesus, so I'm going to bring Jesus to them. My friends won't go to Jesus, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to bring Jesus to my friends. And he opens up his home, he throws a big party, and he spends the evening introducing people to Jesus. This is the same thing that we do in our community groups. Here's what a community group looks like at Redemption. That we meet together in our homes across the city, and we share a meal, we laugh, we pray, we read our Bibles, we pray again, and then we talk about Jesus and then we pick it all up before we go home. And the first thing that he does is he goes and he gets in a group. Okay, I love my community group. I am in a community group. That's how important I believe it is that I'm in a group. And if it wasn't for the people in my community group, I can tell you this, I don't think that I would be the man that I am today. Now, I don't think that I would be the husband that I am I don't think I would be the father. I don't think I would be the pastor. I don't think that I would be the Christian that I am if it wasn't for the past year and a half with these people who are in my community group. And they've become some of the nearest and the dearest and the closest friends that I have in my life. And the other day we were hanging out and we were at group and we were talking about just how much Jesus has done for us and, and how much we love one another and how great it is. And I told them, I said, listen, I don't think that without this group, I would be friends with any of you. And they're like, well, hey, that's not very nice. And I was like, no, no, hold on. Listen to me for a sec. Right? We're so completely different that in our life, there's nothing that would have happened to where our paths would have crossed and to where we could become friends like we are. I mean, we got one girl who's um, like a scientist, right? I mean, I don't really know what you do. She tries to explain it to me, but it's like, 
over my head. All I know is she's going pre-med. And we have another girl. She's a, a geologist. We have a, a grandmother. We have a woman who's had breast cancer for four years. She's a fighter. She's a survivor. We got one girl who, um, one woman, she works at a prison. We got another guy who just got out of prison. So that's interesting, right? We got like six dudes who live in a halfway house. We got, you know, nine kids running around like crazy. We have a construction worker, stay-at-home mom, single mom, and then there's me. Okay, yeah, there's nothing that we have in common except for Jesus. The only thing that we have in common is that we all love Jesus and we met at this church. And it's changed our lives. And listen, if you come to church on a Sunday, we love you. Thank you so much. You are welcome here. But can I just say that you're missing out on a lot of what God wants to do in your life. That there are certain things that you get from a sermon on a Sunday, okay? I love preaching. I love being able to preach the Bible. I believe that God's Word is the authority for our lives and that what you're doing right now is a spiritual discipline. And I love to teach the Bible. I do the best that I can with what I can. But here's the deal. There's other things that you can only get when you're living in community. That it's that life on life. It's that accountability. It's that community. It's when you're surrounded with other believers who are speaking life into you, who are encouraging you, who are walking with you through the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of this life. And sometimes they love you enough to smack you upside the head. That's called community. And you need to be in community. And some of you, you're trying to do the Christian life on your own and it's not working. It's not working because that's not the way that God ever intended for it to work. One of the first words that God ever said is it's not good for man to be what? Alone. The first thing that Jesus does, he goes and he finds four fishermen, says, follow me, starts a community group, and then he goes to a tax collector, goes back to his house, and the first thing that Levi does is he follows Jesus, and then he gets in a group. This is nothing new. We didn't just make this up. Right, whenever me and Ashley were drawing up the master plans for redemption and we were just planning the five-year goal, we didn't sit down and say, okay, how can we really inconvenience people? Right? I, I know that Sunday, well, that's the Lord's Day and it's also their only day off. And so, you know, they're going to come to church on Sunday, maybe once or twice a month, right? Because who could expect anybody to go each week? So they're going to come twice a month to church on Sunday, and that's already kind of complicated enough. I know, let's really make this hard for people. Let's tell them that in the middle of the week, they have to open up their homes, cook food for total strangers, and then pray for one another, right? Because that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, we didn't do that. We didn't make this up, right? Community groups, this is basic, normal, natural, authentic Christianity for the last 2,000 years. This is the model that Jesus sets before us. This is the model that the first church did. This is the model that we do because this is the way that it's always been. And this is the way that it's always going to be because life happens when you live in community groups and groups are the best way for our church to grow, but it's also the best way for you to grow in your faith. And that's exactly what Levi does. The first thing that Levi does is he goes home and he starts a community group. This is what we need to be working on as a church. Okay, as a church, we're going to need new groups. As our church continues to grow, more people keep meeting Jesus. Our church started as a community group. There was like eight people at Bo's house, and we would just pray, and we'd plan, and we'd read our Bible, and we'd talk about planting the church. Well, we launched. Here we are. People keep meeting Jesus. People keep getting saved. People keep getting baptized. More people keep coming, which means to tell me we're going to need to open up new community groups because new groups need, or new people rather need, new groups. Right now we have five groups all across the city. 
that we have groups for um, who study the sermons. We have the youth group. We have a worship band group. And these groups, they can continue to grow. And what we found is best is groups need to be around 8 to 12 people. That's what we discover is best. And we have some groups who are pushing 20 people. And that's amazing. And it's uncomfortable. And it's amazing and it's uncomfortable because we have people just crammed in, sitting on couches, right? They're touching me. There's food all over the place. There's eight pounds of ground beef left over. Kids are running around like crazy. We're trying to sweep it all up. I got to kick people out of my house at 11 o'clock. I love you. And it's also uncomfortable, which means to tell me that it's time for us to open up new groups. It's time for some of you to open up your homes because Jesus also wants to go back to your house. And he wants to throw a party for your friends so that you can start introducing the people you know to Jesus so that you can grow and so that our church can grow. And right now, some of you are like, there's no way. Right? There's no way that I'm going to open up my home. Right? I'm not qualified to do that. Well, neither was Levi. Right? How long has Levi been a Christian? An hour? Right? He doesn't even know other Christians. All he knows is tax collectors and sinners. That's it. And listen, if that's all you know, you're in a good spot. Because if all you know is Jesus and people who need him, you are qualified. He didn't go to a class or, a, or to a Sunday school. He doesn't have apologetics. He doesn't have any theology. He, all he knows is, I met Jesus and my life has changed. I want you to come back to my house. I'm going to throw a big party and I'm going to introduce you to my friend Jesus. This is very simple. Right? It's not complicated. It's simple. That Here's how your life can change. You follow Jesus, step number one. Step number two, you get in a group. Okay, that's it. You follow Jesus and then you get in a group. But when it comes to a group, you need to make sure it's a good group. Because not every group is a good group. Not every group is a safe group. So we meet Levi's group. We meet Jesus. And we're going to meet another group. They're called the religious people, okay? And so here's the religious people's group. They're known as the scribes and the Pharisees. Here's how he says it in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, womp womp, when they saw that he, Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors. Okay, let me say this for just a sec. Okay, in that day, sharing a meal with someone was the greatest sign of friendship. That's why we say Jesus is friends with sinners because he's eating with them. This is a sign of friendship and fellowship. You didn't just eat with anyone. It's not like Jesus went by to McDonald's, picked up a number three and dropped it off at his house, right? Jesus, he goes and he shares a meal, that there's a feast, that there is food, that there's a, a table set before them and that Jesus, he's eating with the sinners because Jesus is a friend of sinners, and what this also means is if two people were in conflict with one another, that there was a fight and that they were no longer in relationship, you would share a meal with them as a sign of reconciliation. And that's what Jesus is doing here, that Jesus, being the perfect, sinless Son of God, is eating with sinners because He's bringing reconciliation. That there is fellowship, that there is friendship, and that there is relationship with Jesus. And He symbolizes this by eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. So the scribes of the Pharisees, they see that Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors and said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? All right, now this word sinners, it doesn't mean just your basic, normal, generic, run-of-the-mill sinners. Okay, this isn't like I lied to my parents, 
I told my boss I was sick, but I really went to Galveston because the water was blue sinners. Not those type of sinners. Right? These are, these are special sinners. These are those sinners. The people you see and you're like, wow, that's a sinner. That's the hide your wife, hide your kids type sinners. I mean, that's kind of how this is. I mean, this is, this, is like the, this is like the guy who just got out of rehab Right, sinners, this is the guy who, you know, he's you know, just got out of prison, he's still got the needle in his arm. This is the junkie, this is the prostitutes and the pimps, this is the girl who's ten shots deep of fireball at Dixie on a Friday night. I mean, this is the guy who in a really cool car who just peels out at the red light because he wants you to think he's cool. This is the Bubba in the big truck who likes to get in bar fights, the guy who still smells like weed, and the other guy who can't find his pants. I mean, this is wow, these are sinners. It sounds like Sounds like redemption, amen? I got a phone call. Kid you not, I got a phone call whenever we first planned the church. Somebody's like, I saw somebody from your worship band smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, really? That's it? Praise God. <laughs> you should have seen what they were smoking six months ago. I mean, I love you, but we all know that it's true. And so these are the people that Jesus came for. These are the people that Jesus is eating with. And the religious people, they see this. And they're not happy with it. They see that Jesus is hanging out with sinners and with tax collectors and with those people. And they think, what is Jesus doing with those people? And as they see this, they're not very happy with it. They're actually upset with it because religious people, they're always upset. Now, are they at the party? No. They're not at the party. Because they didn't get invited to the party. right? Because, well, they're no fun. And so they didn't get invited to the party. They're actually on the outside. That they're on the outside. They're standing down the end of the road. They're looking in the windows. And they're like, what is Jesus doing? Who is Jesus hanging out with? Do you see those people? Oh, do you know where? Do you know? Oh my God. What, what is he? There's music. What is Jesus doing? Right? Is that, is that, is Jesus drinking? I don't know. It's in a red solo cup. I can't tell. Right? Is, that a, is that a turkey sandwich or is that a ham sandwich? I'm not really sure. I think there's bacon on it. I heard there was. I don't know. And they see Jesus and they see who he's affiliated with. They see who he's associated with. They see who he is accepting. And they say, why is Jesus eating with sinners? Because if Jesus never ate with sinners, he'd have to eat every meal by himself. Because Jesus is the only one who is without sin. And the religious people, they don't understand that. They don't understand that they're actually sinners too. And they stand on the outside and they judge Jesus for not as being holy as them. Okay, let me just say this. If, if you're holier than Jesus, then something's wrong. Okay, and they think, well, why is Jesus with them? He should be with us. Why is Jesus spending time with them? Jesus should be spending time with us. Why is Jesus teaching them? Jesus needs to be learning from us, and then maybe one day he could become like one of us. And Jesus, he needs to be like me. And here's what religious people fail to recognize you're a sinner too. See, that's what religion does. Religion has a long finger, loves to point it at everybody else, but fails to recognize there's three fingers pointing back at them. Okay, some of you, this is the type of environment you grew up in. Some of you, you grew up probably a lot like Levi. That you grew up surrounded by religious people. That you grew up in a home, maybe a church, maybe you had religious parents, maybe you come from that sort of background or environment. And so once you were able to get out of it, you walked away, ran away as fast as you could. You're like, I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. I don't want anything to do with that. Okay, might I say to you that you've rejected 
the wrong thing. That maybe you've rejected Jesus, but really what you should have rejected was religion. So I'm going to show you the difference between Jesus and religion, so that way you can get another shot. Okay, here's the difference between Jesus and religion. There's six things. First is religious people, they trust in their works. That's what the scribes do. The scribes say, I'm good, and I can do this on my own, that I can earn my own salvation, that I'm going to trust in my works, what I do, and that I can be holy, and that I can be righteous, and then you can be like me if you do these things. Religious people, they trust in their works. Okay, Jesus people, we trust in Jesus' works. We say, I'm not holy, right? I am not righteous. I do anything. Jesus did it for me. That I'm not going to trust in my works. I'm going to trust in Jesus' works. And Jesus' people, we trust in His works because Jesus, well, it's not what I do, it's what Christ has done. Do you see the difference? That they're antithetical to one another. The second is this. Religious people, they, they say, I obey so that God will love me. That I'm going to obey in order for God to love me. That I want to be welcomed. I want to be accepted. Don't you want to be loved by God? Don't you want to be accepted by God? Don't you want to be welcomed by God? Okay, well then you need to obey or God is going to punish you. Jesus people say, I obey because I'm already loved. That I obey not to be loved, but because in Christ I already am loved and God doesn't punish me because He's already punished Jesus in my place. And that I don't obey to be loved. I obey because I am loved. And there's a really big difference in that. The third is this. Religious people, they see good people and bad people. right? That's what the scribes and the Pharisees are doing. They're like, look at all those bad people. right? Look at all these bad people over there. We're the good people. We're over here. And we need to be distant from them. We need to be separated from them because they're bad. You know the bad people. right? Do you all know how to identify bad people? Right, they don't look like you, act like you, dress like you, vote like you, think like you, believe like you, behave like you. You know, people who are not like you, those are the bad people. Right, but we're over here and we're the good people. And then Jesus walks up and he says, you're all bad. Right, you're equal. There you go. Those of you who like equality, here's equality. You're all sinners. Right, you're a sinner, they're a sinner. You sin differently. Oh, but all of your sin is equal because you're all bad. In life, there's two categories. There's, there's Jesus and then everybody else. Okay? It's an even playing field. Right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus comes along and says, shut up, sit down, you're all bad. But here I am, alright? I love you. So that's how Jesus sees things. Not good people, bad people. It's just people. And then the fourth thing is, that religious people, they're obsessed with perfection. I gotta be perfect. I gotta be perfect. I gotta be perfect. I gotta be perfect. And then they mess up and they say, oh no, I'm not perfect. Everything falls apart. It's because they're obsessed with perfection. I was reading one commentator and he said that the scribes and the Pharisees, they believed that if on a single day, every single Jewish person obeyed every single law of the Torah, the 613 commands, if they obeyed, if they were perfect for one day, the Messiah would come. What they failed to recognize is they were not perfect and the Messiah still came. They were obsessed with their perfection. Jesus' people were obsessed with His perfection. Oh yeah, we still obsessed with perfection. Just not our own. We say, I'm not perfect. Jesus was. 
that Jesus lived the perfect life, that Jesus died the perfect death, that Jesus was buried in the grave, He resurrected, He overcome, and that Jesus is coming back one day to judge the living and the dead, and when I go to be with Him, then I will be perfect. On this side of heaven, all there is is progress. On that day, I will be made perfect. I'll have a new body with a new heaven, with a new earth, and I'll be with Him forever, and in that day, I will be perfect. And so, yeah, I obsess with perfection, but not my own. Religious people, they focus on the wrong thing. The fifth is that religious people, they cannot repent. Okay, have you ever met a person who always has to be right? Okay, that's normally the sign of a religious person. They say, oh, no, no, I wasn't wrong. I never did. I couldn't. I'm not sorry. I didn't do anything. Right? Everybody knows you blew it. I didn't blow that. Right? Everybody is looking at you. Everybody sees. Like, you're a mess. And they're like, no, 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 no. Right? Oh, I'm not wrong. And then they normally have some sort of very, 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 very religious, theological explanation for why they did what they did. They can quote a dead guy. They're like, oh, Rabbi so-and-so, he did this. And Rabbi so-and-so, he said that. And 300 years ago, this is kind of what happened, you know? I mean, you know, Martin Luther, he drank beer. And John Calvin apparently killed a guy. I didn't kill a guy, right? Oh, John Wesley, well, he had a terrible marriage. I know I'm not the good husband. But, I mean, at least I'm not like them. And they have some sort of religious excuse to explain away their sin. Because they can't repent. Because if a religious person were to repent, oh, well, then they would be just like everybody else. And they can't stand that. Jesus' people, on the other hand, it starts with repentance. That the first thing you do in order to become a Christian is say, I'm a sinner. Like That's how you get in. It starts with repentance. The first words out of Jesus' mouth, repent. The first sermon Peter preaches at Pentecost, repent. Right? The first thing you do in order to become a Christian is you repent of your sins. That's the way that this works. It starts with repentance, it ends with repentance, and in the middle, there's a whole lot of repentance. That's the Christian life. So religious people, they cannot repent. How many of you heard, oh, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites? That can't be true. If they're really a Christian, the only way they could become one is if they admit, I'm a sinner. Because the Christian life, it begins and ends with repentance. The sixth thing is that religious people are filled with pride. They're proud. They're prideful people and the religious people here they're looking at everybody else they say i'm better than you i'm better than that i'm better than those people and i'm accepted and i'm welcomed and i'm loved really are you because you're not invited to the party it doesn't look like you're welcomed because you're on the outside right if jesus is god and he's at the party you don't seem to be more loved by god Because you're not invited to the party. You're on the outside. That you're arrogant. You're proud. You're self-righteous. You are religious. And you're not welcomed into the party. And you're on the outside. It doesn't look like you're more accepted. It looks like you're jealous. right? Because, Because in the party, there's not pride. In the party, there is joy. That there's food. There's laughter. There's fun. There's celebration. There's a feast. There's happiness. Because... Being with Jesus is joyful. Religious people are prideful. Okay, Jesus people were joyful because we don't earn our invitation. Jesus just says, welcome. He says, come to me, follow me, then I'm a friend with you. And so we love Jesus. We're joyful for Jesus because life with Jesus is a party. 
that we are forgiven by Jesus, that we follow Jesus, and because of Him, we are friends with Jesus, and so there is a party, and this is what the Christian life is like. That step one, you follow Jesus. Step number two, that you get in a group, a good group. right? A group with laughter and food and fun and friends. That's the group you need to be in. Not one of these religious groups. You need to get in a Jesus group. So step one is you follow Jesus. Step two, you get in a group. And the final step is this, that you live on mission. Here's how it says in verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, that's the religious people complaining about all of his new friends, the sinners, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, this is the whole reason that I came. This is the whole goal, the whole point, the whole purpose. This is my mission to reconcile relationship, fellowship, friendship with sinners. That's the reason Jesus came. See, at redemption, we totally believe that Jesus is God, that He's Lord, He's our Savior, He's our Christ and our King, but we also believe that Jesus was a missionary. Okay, that Jesus is eternal in heaven, eternity past, that He is surrounded by angels worshiping Him day and night as holy. Then Jesus humbly becomes a man, He enters into human history, and instead of being in heaven, being worshipped by angels, He enters into this world to be surrounded by sinners. Okay, He's a missionary. Instead of the comfort of heaven, He enters into the suffering of this world. And Jesus does all of that because He lives His life on mission. His mission was to seek and to save the lost, to ransom, to reconcile, and to call sinners into relationship and righteousness and to be reconciled to Him through friendship. And Jesus, He lives His life as a missionary on mission. But I want you to notice this, that Jesus, He doesn't excuse away their sin. That Jesus, while a missionary, He doesn't become a sinner. That Jesus, He never sinned. He hung out with sinners, but He didn't become a sinner. And He doesn't excuse away their their sin. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Jesus flat out calls you a sinner here. Like, did you see that? Jesus is straight up agreeing with the religious people. They're like, Jesus, look at all these sinners. And He's like, I know. Look at them. That's the reason that I came. They're like, Jesus, look at that sinner over there. They're like, yeah, and look at that one over there. And look at him. Like, you know, he still smells like weed, right? That person over there, they can't find their pants. These people are, they're, they're sinners, right? And good news is, I'm a savior. That, so yeah, we're sinners, okay, but Jesus, he's a savior. And the greater the sinner, the greater the savior. That's why Jesus says right here, that those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus says, yeah, they're sick. Of course they are. Yeah, they're sick. But the good news is, is that I'm a doctor. And you know a good doctor if they're surrounded by sick people. right? If you see a doctor and you're like, oh, I can't believe he has all of those patients. What a terrible doctor. Like, no, like the more patience, the better the doctor and the greater the sin, the greater the savior. This is the whole point of Jesus's ministry. This is the whole goal and mission of the church, that as a church, we should be the most welcoming place on the planet. We shouldn't just be sitting outside going, look at all those sinners. We have to quarantine them. We have to separate them. We need to get away from them. No, we should welcome them. 
that the church should be the most welcoming place on the planet because we all know we all have the sickness that we all have the disease, that sin lives inside every single one of us, that we are bent in towards selfishness and to sin and to self-righteousness, that we have not lived as we ought to live. We have not done what we ought to do. We have said things we shouldn't say. We have done things we shouldn't have done. We've gone places we shouldn't have gone. And Jesus still saves us, that we're all sick, that we all have the disease, that we're all filthy fishermen, crooked tax collectors, sick sinners and Jesus is friends with sinners in the church we should stop spending so much time trying to diagnose other people's disease and we should spend more time trying to introduce them to the doctor oh you're sick me too I know a great physician right oh you're jacked up me too you need to meet my friend Jesus Oh, wait, wait he, so, so you're a sinner? Guess what? Me too. Guess what? I know a Savior, and He loves people like you, and He cares about people like you, and He changes people like you, and He'll come back to your house, and He'll throw you a big party because that's just the kind of guy that Jesus is. This is simple, right? And it frustrates me to no end when people make this more complicated than it needs to be. It's very simple. Oh, you're messed up? Me too. Get on in here. We're just the same. Oh, wait, you're jacked up. Well, there's room for one more. We'll all be one big jacked up Jesus family. That's the way that the church should be because Jesus calls filthy fishermen, crooked tax collectors, sick sinners because Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's what the church is supposed to be like. So here's what I want to do as we close. I get asked all the time, am I welcome at this church? Can I come to redemption? Is this a church that I can be a part of? And people, they ask me this all the time. So what I want to do is I want to make a list of all of the people who we welcome at Redemption Church. Make it very clear for you. Okay, some people are like, can I give church another shot? Can I give Jesus another shot? Right? I've been divorced three times. I don't know who my child's father is. I'm gay. Can I come to Redemption Church? So here's what I want to do. I made a list of everyone that we welcome at our church. And if you like the list, you're welcome. If you don't like the list, you can leave. This is the way that it works. Here's the people who are welcome here. Hippies and hipsters. Blue collars, white collars, no collars, and rednecks. Meatheads, methheads, crackheads, deadheads, stay-at-home moms, single moms, soccer moms, crunchy moms, helicopter moms, people who read Huffington Post, people who post cat videos on social media, thank you, college students, high school dropouts, homeschool kids, punk rockers, indie rockers, face tattoos, and people who tuck their shirts in. Freaks, geeks, losers, rejects, misfits, rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Latino, Asian, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, skinny jeans, cargo shorts, Mac, PC, iPhone, and Android users. Okay, people who watch Fox News and people who watch CNN. Right, men who work, girls who twerk, gay, straight, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and the 71 other orientations you can register as on Facebook. Right, beauty queens, prom queens, people who text while driving, people who vape, people who don't rack their weights at the gym, alcoholics, workaholics, introverts, extroverts, INFP, ENTJ, the 27-year-old dude who still collects video games and action figures while living at your mom's house, drug addicts, drug dealers, porn addicts, prostitutes, Star Wars fans, especially the prequels with Jar Jar Binks, 
people who think that wrestling is real, NASCAR fans, <laughs> Dallas Cowboy fans, and even Texas Ranger fans. Vegans, vegetarians, Vidorians, CrossFitters, people who buy Bitcoin, and people who are on the keto diet. Engineers who work at the plant and the waitresses at Luke's who always forget your order. We love you. And the overly religious people who have no clue what I'm talking about because you don't have any friends and you never get invited to the party. You'll fit right in because you're just as jacked up as the rest of us. Okay. Let me make this really easy for you. Okay, if I left you off or I haven't offended you yet. Okay, sinners, you need to repent. Okay, turn, trust in Jesus, follow him, join a group, get on mission. If you are a sinner, you need to repent. And if you're religious, you need to knock it off because you're making the rest of us look bad. Let's pray. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.